Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. It's another episode of Bragging Rights. I'm your host, Phoebe, along with my co-host, Joe. Hey, Joe, how are you doing this morning? Great. How about you? I'm doing great myself. Uh, I was trying to do better in my intro because, you know, I've been kind of flubbing it up (laughs) the last few, I don't know, this whole year. No, um, how how was your Thanksgiving? That was pretty quiet, pretty good. I see... uh... I see from Facebook that uh, you guys are still eating. Yeah, actually, my niece turned 20, which is so wild to me. I mean, I just felt like she was a little girl just a few years ago, and here she is, almost a complete 100% adult in the eyes of the law in one more year. Um, Well, I mean, I guess she's an adult when she turned 18, but you know what I mean, like... But it's just, she's out of her teens, is what I'm saying. It's, It's wild. It's crazy. So... I don't know, yeah. but that's why, and, and, and we're Filipinos, so we always got to have a lot of grub, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I see We that. always have a lot of food. Was, was that a plate of lumpia? Yes, it was. An entire <laughs> tray full of bite-sized deliciousness? Yeah, it was, and it was <sighs> delicious. <laughs> I, I'm it was sure so, it was. It was so funny. My aunt cracked me up because we were about ready to pray before the meal, and she was so hungry. <laughs> she snuck a lumpia, but it was so funny because literally it was such a loud crunch. <laughs> so everybody looked at her like, she's like, I'm sorry, I'm so hungry. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Out of everything she could eat, she chose the one that was would make the loudest sound. That would give her away. <laughs> but it was funny. Not very, um, not very stealthy. <laughs> no, not at all. But uh, what, how, what do you guys eat? Um, we just went to we went to a small place in town that had uh, probably like a traditional uh, traditional buffet type uh, Thanksgiving uh, uh, group of food to choose from. You know, turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes, just the simple stuff. It was quiet. Me, my son, and my wife. We just kind of had something to eat and relaxed, and then you know, then we went home and took a nap. Naps are great. I I, I was really naps are, what naps are the best. Yeah. Well, I mean, I yesterday I I actually came home early from my niece's party just because I was so tired. I was falling asleep at at the party because I I was just lethargic already (laughs) I was like let me sleep a little bit um but but then I got home and I wasn't sleepy it's always that way where sometimes I'm someplace and I I feel tired but when I get home I'm awake I don't know how how that works really but but uh I I I'm not usually a Thanksgiving meal kind of person like I'm not a turkey person I do love mashed potatoes and gravy that I do love and we had green, a green bean casserole. Oh, that's good, too. That's good stuff right there. Um, and then they had some Filipino spaghetti, which is amazing. I love Filipino spaghetti. So, 
So what what about the spaghetti makes it Filipino? Um, I think it's the sauce and the hot dogs. So they put okay. um well they can have they can have a spicy version of that sauce, but sometimes typically it's more a sweet kind of sauce. And then they have these hot dogs. And it's not like hot dogs that you buy here. It's a different kind of hot dog as well. Um so it's it's I love it. I love it. Um uh, my my best friend's dad makes uh Filipino spaghetti, a spicy version of it and it's insanely good. He's such a good cook. Mm-hmm. But That's but yeah, awesome. I I love food. If I wish I was more of a foodie, I just like eating it, but I'm not really adventurous very much with food. I tend to end up like I could go to a restaurant and I'm like I'm going to try something new and then I don't. <laughs> and you go to the go-to, right? I'm Absolutely. Kind of a go-to guy as well. Once I find the go-to meal at particular restaurants, I, you know, after three or four visits, I walk up in the in the server. <laughs> oh, you're the guy that likes this thing. All right, we'll have it right out. That's <laughs> it. <Fine. laughs> you know, you got me nailed. Bring me a water too, please. <laughs> but usually they have me figured out after a couple of visits. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I I love this in Linwood called B3, um, and it's a breakfast place. It's a burger place as well. So I go there fairly often, not like every day or anything, uh, but right. you know at least once a week. But the 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 waitress there, one of the waitresses there, she she just notices. <laughs> She's like, oh, your hair is getting long, and <laughs> or whatever. But um, right. I try to be different. In what I I choose, that one they can't peg me because I little I, their their menu is so great that I try to tr- tr- I try to eat them different ones as much as possible. And they have this mac and cheese bar. Oh gosh, they have so many different kinds of mac and cheese. Well, not a lot, like maybe five different styles, and I want to eat all of them, but it's probably not good for my stomach. Um, but it's I love mac and cheese. I, I'm, I'm like Russell Wilson that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Maybe you should develop your own signature macaroni and cheese there, young lady. Oh, I could. I mean, yeah. I could. <laughs> that, that would mean numerous hours of experimenting with different types and tastes and, and kinds of macaroni and cheese. There would be benefits to this uh, uh Exploration of, of of a of a product. This is true. I uh-huh. but but anyways, uh, what 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 are we going to talk about today? Probably football. I think I'm guessing, I'm guessing yeah. that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, well, let me start off by saying that uh, before we talk about uh, the Eagles game, which was. Uh, a great win, but a costly win, as people have said, because of all of the injuries. And uh, this episode sure. is called Perfect Attendance Record, obviously, because this was the first game that Earl Thomas is missing. And um, and just how sad he is about that and how sad we are as well, but obviously want him to heal up. But I will say this before we get into that game. I think that I've been so excited about doing so well in this Pick'em League that I have started to overthink myself. And henceforth, the loss, so crucial, two losses. Though I still don't regret making those picks, um, I 
because I really genuinely feel that they could have won that. Both of those games, I really feel like the other team could have won. It's just a coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's not – I didn't feel like I chose teams that didn't have a fighting chance to beat those people. Um, It's so amazing to me, even with the Redskins situation, that people were so overwhelmingly believing that Dallas would absolutely win. Uh, And we know had, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, you know, you can't live there. But those sure. two missed field goals, as well as that oh, yeah. failed two-point conversion, it could have easily been 33-31. Obviously, can't say easily, because when those points are made, you don't know how it would have changed the rest of the course of, of the game. But just saying, the Redskins were always in there. And what was frustrating to watch that, as someone who's not even a Redskins fan, was just how abysmal <sighs> they were in the red zone. I said, what is this situation? And they, they really, if it was not for Kirk Cousins, I don't think they have a fighting chance sometimes. But some of the calls that they choose to make in the red zone, I, I, I don't know. The execution is poor. I don't know if the execution is poor or the call is poor. But something happens where they're tracking and they're amazing all the way through. They get to the red zone and it's like, blah. And uh, apparently, uh, obviously, I haven't been watching the Redskins since I'm as as, as uh, faithfully as Redskins fans would. But apparently, I guess this is their Achilles' heel this year. Their their frustration that the red zone right. is just is just killing them. That the the ways that they have lost on other games was because of the red zone and just it's it's you. How how are you going to have a, a team pretty much be in the red zone every? I mean, like. Almost every drive, I mean, every, yeah, every drive that they have or every time they possess the ball, I mean, and then not convert anything in, in two of those. It, it's just killer. Uh, it, it's, it was just frustrating. But, again, I don't regret choosing those teams that I chose because I really believe that they could, and they could have pulled those wins out. So I didn't even think that it was actually even a risky pick. Um, until I realized that absolutely no one chose the Redskins. And I was like, dang, okay. I guess I was the only I, one that thought they had a fighting chance against the Dallas Cowboys. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, you're probably reveling because now you are tied in first place with myself. Um, and just probably try, can surprise. Well, just, just trying to concentrate, just trying to, <clears throat> to, to make uh, selections, trying to keep my own bias out of it. Trying to look at uh, stats and and where the games are being played, and maybe a little bit of you know last week's performances. Trying to trying to stay trying to stay up there at the top with you. It's I've become much more focused on picking other teams' games than ours lately. Trying to get a little, I guess, a little more informed, uh, keeping track of. I I just saw uh, like I just saw uh, an update about injuries that makes me question one of the picks that I've made. So I'm contemplating right now making a switch. So I don't know if by the end of this I'll talk myself into it or not. But yeah, well we'll I find out, right? With you, huh? Well, here's the thing. This this week I'm I'm going to be straight up with you. This week to me is one of the toughest weeks I've ever had. Um, in the sense of really feeling a gut sense of who's going to win a game. Um, I feel like any – I honestly feel like anyone can win um, for the uh, most part in the, you in know these what? games. I thought, a, I thought a lot of them were slam dunks. 
Really? Yeah. What's that? Well, interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to find out what you chose. Because if you chose it and you felt like it was really easy, I'm going to see how how my – my gut goes and how different or how the same it really is. Cause to me, this one right. was a struggle for me this whole week. Go, that's why I think I missed two of the three, because to me, I'm like, I genuinely feel like these teams can win and beat them. And they could have, like it was literally last minute from both of the, the ones that I, I missed. Well, on. Yes. That was a very good game. Uh, I knew that the, the Detroit Minnesota game was going to be much in the same fashion as the last time they got together and played. You know, this is going to come down to either the last drive or some kind of defensive play um, for one side or the other. Um, I think that both of those teams, I think they're very incomplete. They're good enough to win and compete in that division. I just don't see right now that they're good enough to compete in the playoffs, I just don't see any of those two teams moving on, either one of them. But, you know, I mean, stranger things have happened, but right now as it's constituted, I'm not really calling the NFC North winner really a competitor. Well, you know, when I was watching that, the last play, obviously, well, not the last play, but the play that then gave the ball back to the Lions, I – I was actually, you know, talking to my uh, to my uh, television screen as I have a tendency to do when I watch these games, and I was just, you know, trying to say to Bradford, I just I want you to make smart decisions, but just uh, take a ri- some risks, but don't don't do anything stupid. And you know what? He really didn't do anything stupid. It was just a really great play uh, by by who who was that that intercepted that ball? It was a good jump on it. Um, but it was frustrating because the minute it happened, I'm like, well, there goes my win. <laughs> there goes the win. <laughs> so I, I, was hoping, I was hoping that it was just going to at least either they were going to get close enough to get a field goal or they were going to tie it up and go into overtime, something where I wasn't going to lose this, that competition or that, that particular game. But, uh, you know, there is a lot in uh, – there's a lot that – the Vikings can can still do. They're still. They're, I I still don't count that team out. Um, there's still um, some hope. I think there's, uh, still there's some hope there. Out. There's hope in Minnesota. The problem for me is where they're experiencing the injuries. Uh, they're piling up in the same position group, so their offensive line is. You know, Sam Bradford can be an effective quarterback when he has time. But you continue to have these injuries pile up on the offensive line. He becomes a whole new, whole different quarterback when he's pressured. And I think that may be the uh, Achilles heel moving forward. Well, how about us? What, what, what do you think? Or how about the Seahawks? I guess I should say not us, but how about the Seattle Seahawks watching that game with the Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, what were some of your thoughts? What were your takeaways um, from that game? Well, first of all, it seemed from, you know, for, uh, you realize all the hype that all of what uh, the coaching staff has been seeing 
about C.J. Procise immediately um, on one of the first plays of the game. You're like, oh, that's what they've been talking about, about a matchup nightmare and and a, a home run hitter. And then and then the injuries began. So, first of all, you, you get to see what the coaching staff saw in C.J. Procise since drafting him. You get excited about them moving forward already. You're, you're already thinking the one-two punch of Thomas Rawls and C.J. Procise. Oh, this is going to be, oh, what a shame. Now he's out. Um, and then the injuries started. So, I mean, my first, my first point would probably be that the uh, – it seems that the running game is back. Um, the young offensive linemen are learning uh, to get it a little better. We're starting to get on track. But Thomas just brings that physical nature that, that, that had been missing. Um, you know, there were glimpses of it early in the season between, between Kristen Michael and, and, and Alex Collins and, and some of the other guys. But Thomas brings it play in and play out, and it, I think it changes not only the attitude of the offensive line, but also the attitude of the defense. So the first thing that stands out to me is is the improvement in the running game. I don't know how, how you felt about it, but it it just reminds you of more of what the Seahawks intend to play. They want to play in that physical manner that takes a toll on, on their opponents. Oh, are you, are you stopping? Yes. Yeah, oh, okay. Stopping. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I agree. It's uh, it's nice to see, it's nice to see the run game back uh, to the, to what I think we believed it could have been from the from the beginning had not had it not been so injury ridden, and it's kind of an interesting sure. thing after all of the the injuries that happened with with ProSize and with Pope and um the the conversation was oh right after that oh do this does Seattle now regret letting Michael go having these two guys get injured that they were really hopeful would pick it up and you know now it's going to be Collins and I think Farmer is that who's coming up or came up um, but I'm not quite sure yeah as a re- as a result of everything that happened Sunday First of all, um, the Seahawks needed a roster spot, first of all, in order to keep Pope on the roster. Um, I think they were at a position where had they not been able to execute some of the personnel moves that they made, they would have been forced to put Pope on injured reserve last week. So I think that they found that that Tromaine Pope, Pope was – healthy enough where it would only take a couple weeks for him to recover. So they had to find a a way to find a roster spot. And that roster spot ended up being Jamarcus Webb. Jamarcus Webb was oh, the most, I'm sure you're thrilled. Oh, I, you know, whatever. But he was <laughs> the most expensive offensive lineman on the team. And he was the furthest away from seeing the field. That's what was remarkable for me. It seemed to me that Joey Hunt or Reese Odiombo had more chances of getting in a game than Jamarcus Webb. So the move is, you know, in hindsight, it's kind of obvious 
just move on from a guy that you're you're unwilling to even put in the game. Now they were using him as the swing tackle, right, left, uh, guard replacement, such and such. But he wasn't seeing the field. It was it was John Schneider's worst move of this year. Um, I believe he knows he can look in the mirror and say, I made a mistake. Um, if if a fan were to tell him from the stands and heckle him and say, hey, you made a mistake, he'd probably turn around and say, yeah, I know. That was a bad one, but let's keep going. Um, so that gave them a chance to keep Pope around. So after that, the, the roster moves that occurred, the, the – the things that kind of fell into place after that was the elevation of George Farmer from the practice squad and probably the activation for this weekend of Alex Collins. So probably going into this weekend with, with Rawls, Collins, and Farmer active because at the end of the game, the decision was between the backup quarterback, the two starting wide receivers who was going to be the, the, uh, running back besides Thomas Rawls, and they went with the backup quarterback, and that didn't turn out very well. Uh, they immediately <laughs> went. They me- immediately moved on to that. To hey, let's hand it to Will Tukawafu, and let's get out of this game. But there was a point in that game where Baldwin and Curse were both lobbying to get in the game as a running back. Now Curse, on the other hand, has done that in the past prior to uh, I think he did it prior to Pete Carroll I think he was when his first year came in I think he he played a little running back uh, during the preseason I think so yeah but we don't have to do that we'll move on and we'll get to see George Farmer and uh and maybe we finally get to see a little bit of what Alex Collins could do. I'm hoping, I'm hopeful, but not expecting too much from Alex Collins. Just kind of just do what's asked of you. Uh, more than, more importantly, make the blitz pickups and be where you're supposed to be. Don't be Kristen Michael and have to be told every time where to line up. Hey, as little as he as, has. As, as a result of all that movement, Kristen Michael ended up in Green Bay, and I don't know if he'll see the field this weekend either. Well, I was just going to say, as little as Alex Collins has been able to do uh, so far, I mean, you can't take the touchdown away from him, right? <laughs> so he, has, he at least can say he's had a touchdown this season already. Um, That's true. But um, The one thing that does concern me about Alex Collins is, is, is fumbling. Um, you know, there was there was, there was at least one unreviewed fumble where if it had been reviewed, we could have been in trouble and lost the ball. So I hope that ball security uh, and and blocking assignments are his number one and number two priority going into this weekend. Uh, absolutely, uh, I think it's, it's always about the ball and protecting the ball, but. Uh, what did you think about that trick play or, you know, the touchdown pass from uh, Doug Baldwin to Russell Wilson? Well, once again, it's an innovative play call. Um, 
I'm not a huge fan of putting your million-dollar quarterback out there to get blown up by a safety or a, or a linebacker even. But the play worked. I mean, almost got blew, blown up on the play. But Yeah, I noticed that. You know, <laughs> it was – it it worked. Um, I guess that uh, Doug wasn't happy with the play call. Um, cost him about $12,000 to express his uh, feelings on the matter in a uh, in a symbol to the sidelines. But Daryl Bevel's used to getting – The one-finger uh, salute? <laughs> yeah, the one-finger salute from, from players on the field. Uh, I think this was done in a more lighthearted fashion maybe than – than the Marshawn one, but, you know, Doug's one for one with touchdown passes, so. Uh, Perfect. Just, QB, it, QB it's, it's, rating. It's fun, but moving forward, don't, you know, let. I think we're okay with just running the regular offense. I mean, I agree. It's it's one of those things that that's really fun to watch, especially when it it works out. <laughs> But it's not fun to watch if it doesn't work out. <laughs> and oh, it's no. just kind of one of those things where it's it's an unnecessary just yeah, sideshow well, kind of play. Yeah, when it doesn't work play. out, everyone is, everyone is complaining, why don't you throw it? So basically it was in the red zone. And exactly. Some and I think complaining, that, and he, why didn't you throw it to Jimmy? Well, I mean, I, here's the thing, right? It, it, it's as Doug Baldwin said in his interview. It's, he's, been, he's been asking uh, Bevel to 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 – you know, do this play, Throw him the but ball. not in the red zone, yeah. not in yeah. the red zone. In the red zone, he wants yeah, that he ball. Wants, I mean, he, he, he wants <laughs> stats, right? He wants the touchdowns, of course. So you know, it's, it's like, you know. Cause, being, that's Doug being honest, saying, hey, I want, you know, you know, not only do I want my team to win, but I want to show success on my part as well. I mean, <laughs> players want touchdowns. They want mm-hmm. uh, the ball. So mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't expect Absolutely. anything left from, from Doug. Well, well, I mean, it's it's part of what we like in our players, right? They're competitors. You don't want a, a right. person to say they don't care to get the ball. You don't want – see, here's the thing. I love our team when it comes to competitiveness, um, but knowing how to balance being competitive with being selfless. Because – it's a very fine line sometimes. You, if sometimes when people sure. uh, only care about their stats, uh, they become selfish players, which really then puts a detriment to the team's success. But when, a t- when, when everyone wants to succeed, when everyone wants to compete, but also everyone wants to win, that's where I think the balance is found between competitiveness and knowing how to be unselfish, how to play unselfish ball. Um, and I think that's another reason why I was not necessarily uh, upset when, you know, Pro Size got hurt and Pope got hurt and then people were like, oh, well, are you guys now missing Michael? And I, No, because I think in the, at the end of the day, you want a guy that you feel like would be happy for other people to get their opportunities. Obviously frustrated to not get his own, but not want to, you know, hamper the environment because you didn't get the ball or you didn't get the opportunity to have it and somebody else is and somebody else has utilized their opportunity in a far better way than you did uh, recently. You know, so I just, 
I'm not. I'm. I'm okay that Michael's gone, um, and I'm. A, I was a big proponent of him, so I. I don't know how he's going to do in, in in Green Bay, but, you know, I. I hope he does well, uh, but. But all I know is I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what Collins does, what Farmer does. And if it's not extraordinary, it's not fantastic, I still think that there might be a, a bigger hunger and a bigger drive and a bigger focus from them um, than, than, unfortunately, I, I saw out of Michael, which frustrated me because I believe so, so much in him. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I've never, I really haven't watched Farmer. I know we saw him during preseason but I really didn't watch him watch him. What, what, what's your thoughts on Farmer? Well, here, here's the deal. We're going into this, this Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will be Today. like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of people are going to be like, okay, that it's going to be a lot of Rawls and Collins. But actually, you know, George Farmer is going to play today and he's going to get significant snaps. Because I think that Farmer is going to be the player that they use in the third down uh, role, kind of like ProSize, because of his flexibility. So, George, first of all, came out of USC as a wide receiver, okay? Um, And then, in order to try and make the team, he started to do as much as he could to become useful to any kind of team that was interested in him as a undrafted free agent. So during George's tenure with the Seahawks, he's been listed as a wide receiver. Uh, a couple of weeks later, he went over to the defensive side of the ball and played cornerback or tried to, uh, to convert over to being a quarterback, cornerback for a couple of, eh, probably about four or five weeks. And then, during the preseason, the Seattle Seahawks had trouble uh, with all the minor injuries with Michael and uh, Rawls and Procise that, that all all that was available was Collins and Farmer. So Farmer transferred from being a cornerback back to being a running back. So as a third down back, he's got a background as a wide receiver similar to Procise. So there's going to be a lot of options um, that he's capable of doing. He's going to be a decent decent route runner, um, knows uh, how to get to the sticks, uh, how to run exactly the way that uh, Russell needs him on third down. And he was probably also, you know, given a couple of weeks to prepare, be fairly decent at blitz pickups. So I think he'll be the third down guy. And you'll see Collins as the guy who only gives Rawls uh, a break. Uh, Collins may be maybe goal line back or something like that. But in the end, I think maybe Farmer gets more repetitions than Collins in this game. That's that's just kind of the way I see it. Uh, it may not play out that way, but I think in the end you may see more repetitions from from Farmer. Um. Yeah, and Farmer's definitely probably going to play uh, special teams as well. And I don't think Collins is a special teams player. So looking forward, I, it wouldn't surprise me for George Farmer to get a touchdown today. Well, I, I mean, Seattle's known for surprising people in regards to who gets the well, ball just, in the end zone and, sometimes. 
and just for the fact that it would it would probably anger every fantasy football player out there that there's <laughs> Doug Baldwin and Jimmy Graham and 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 Thomas Rawls out there and George Farmer is going to be the one to get the touchdown. It'll be, it it'll anger everyone. You know what's really interesting is the fact that <laughs> just how much the narrative has changed about the Seahawks in the eyes of people. I mean, uh, the in, one in word to the well, I'll give you the word that they're using now for for what's happening. They say, well, Russell has so many weapons. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know if you. You know. Do you remember that the narrative before? That that. Yeah. That the you know, and I, I'm not that saying that it's because they're not good enough. And um, it's the question to me is, oh, sure, the personnel has changed since the time that uh that they they oh, I've heard worse. referred. I've heard uh, worse than that. What? I've heard <laughs> I've actually seen somewhere on Twitter where they're like, Oh, Russell Wilson's only being effective because of this offensive line is is playing so well. <laughs> I saw this and I almost fell over. Because I, like, <laughs> I don't like to disparage the offensive line at all. This is kind of what I envisioned happening throughout the years that that the in the beginning of the season I thought, you know, there was a good chance that this is exactly what the offensive line would look at like coming out of training camp. I realized that they would be young and make mistakes and the first couple of games would probably look a little shaky. But we're looking at the offensive line of the future for this team. And if you imagine these four or five guys playing three, four, five seasons together, you can just imagine that how how the communication level is going to develop with these these young men. Uh, this is uh, at the beginning of the season. I thought this was the offensive line of the future for the Seattle Seahawks, and it's developing and becoming better each each week in and week. I mean, they can continue to draft new players, but it won't be the wholesale turnover year in and year out like it has been. I mean, every year the Seahawks have basically gone with a new starting five at different positions for the like last three or four years. And I think the continuity will continue. Uh, with, I think they're just going to get better as the season moves towards the most important part of the year. I, uh, yeah, you're you right, know, the narratives are so much fun. They're always fun. Here's the I, thing. I um, the, the story of football is, is more fun sometimes to me than, than, than the game. The, the what's going on behind the scenes communicates, uh, you know, it, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. When I was reading the article, obviously, about Earl Thomas going to be – Earl Thomas not going into the game today and not, missing his first yep. game. Um, the other piece that was on, on the same article was how Britt could be out – and Joey Hunt might have to be in. And right. obviously it wasn't solidified, but I was like, wow, how what a difference a year makes. Because last year, if it was the old position he was in, I'd be like, good, whatever, I don't care. And this season, it's like, oh, no, <laughs> don't go. We need you in there. Uh, and Russell needs to be Russell. 
honestly, it's not oh no for me, but he has. I'm going to give Justin Britt and Hoa credit for something that I just didn't see it in preseason. Uh, that's my fault for being biased, I think. Um, Hoa has always been a Justin Britt guy, and he was in Justin Britt's uh, corner all summer long. I was like, I, I don't even know maybe if he makes a team. I think Patrick Lewis is – why don't we stick with Patrick Lewis? Why why do, why does Patrick Lewis never never seem to keep the job and blah 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 blah? But Justin Britt's been the best offensive lineman on this team all year long. That's it's just the way it is. And now and now, but but we'll be okay. Even with Joey Hunt, we'll be okay. Uh, he's a smaller guy, but but I think Russell's smart enough to know how to make make up for Justin's absence if he's not there. I mean, we have multiple positions where we're going with backups, and you can't tell me you don't feel confident about those backups. Well, I've been a proponent all year long of, like, why is Steven Terrell still on this team? Well, (laughs) probably because week 12 we need him. Uh, And without him on the team, it's a – I don't know – what the first of all, the drop off from from Earl Thomas to Stephen Terrell is is huge, but I just didn't see earlier in the season any use for him on the roster, and that, and now we find out week twelve why he's here because we need him for you know whatever one week. It's I don't know. Even with all these injuries, are you are you concerned? I I definitely think it'll it'll be a dogfight. I do. Um, oh, I, I do. Yeah. I do believe that Russell needs to be Russell as, as much as possible. I don't think you're right. I, I think that Russell has dealt with the worst offensive lines. That if Joey does half decent, that it still could mimic what he's had in the past anyway. Uh, that he was, has able been able to make something out of nothing. But Tampa Bay. Obviously, the last two weeks I've chosen Tampa Bay to win. People laughed, but I was right on both of those. Um, if this wasn't, you know, my team <laughs> that I root for, that Tampa Bay is playing, that I could, I, you know, I would do a little bit more pause. But I always believe that the Seattle Seahawks can beat any team. I never, I never doubt their capability to do so, to be able to overcome. One of the things that I look at is what is the makeup of the leaders that are in that team? And, you know, there's a lot of talk about Winston, J- Jameis Winston and his mindset and how he um, – the, the mental coach that both him and Russell Wilson have. Both, they talk about uh, – he talks about how both of them possess this, uh, this ability to love pressure. Uh, they they rise, in, uh, you know, where others crumble and they dislike it and um, they 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 don't know how to function in it. Russell and Winston uh, step up to it and embrace it and enjoy it and love it. Uh, and so, to me, with that kind of mindset in a quarterback, they they can persevere even when things are not going the way that they want. You almost want. I mean, not to say that I almost, well, but in a lot of ways, you want a weaker-minded quarterback to go 
uh, against your team that when things fall behind or they're not on schedule or things of that nature, that they just, they just crumble and there's no way that they mentally think they're going to come back. But when you're facing someone that has kind of a strong mental fortitude as well and has a way to rally and has a strong leadership qualities in himself as well to get his team to believe that they can come back and they're at home, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk by any stretch of an imagination. And then on top of it, we've got our injuries going on. Am I still choosing the Seahawks? Of course. I'm going to go down with the ship no matter what. And, I, and I'm not going to say I'm going to go down with the ship as if I don't believe that they're going to win. But if people think that this, is not, that this doesn't have the makings of a trap game or they think that this is going to be, this is going to be so simple, I, I think, that that, I don't, I think that's, that's a wrong, wrong concept or wrong thought about what this game could potentially look like. Um, but I think we will pull it out in the end of the day, if that's what your question is. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting narratives, possibilities going on in this game. There's, you know, Earl sitting down and the set, the Steve Terrell coming in, Stephen Terrell coming in to replace Earl. Then there's also the possibility that Shed might not be able to go as well. And mm-hmm. so, and and we got to see a little bit of how that shakes out last week with uh, with Jeremy playing on the outside during early downs and then shifting into the middle with Nico Thorpe coming in on the outside uh, during nickel. So this it's just another example of of John Schneider saving the day or the way that they bring guys in and develop. They brought Nico Thorpe into the team to be a gunner on special teams. His job was to do what Ricardo Lockett used to do, run fast, get down there before the punt returner catches the ball and force him into fair catches or make tackles. That was his job. He was supposed to be a special teams guy, and that's it. And here we are week 11 in, he's forced into duty as a cornerback on the outside as a nickel. And usually if you're watching a football game and the third or fourth string cornerback comes into the game, usually the announcer will make a note of it and then you will watch the opposing quarterback start to pick on that particular uh, matchup, that particular substitution for the rest of the game and take advantage of. Well, if if you go back and look at that game, you don't get that feeling at all. It didn't feel like there was a drop-off. Nico didn't get picked on. Um, Stephen Terrell didn't get picked on because Earl was gone. They seemed to adjust a little the way they played, but the level of that the defense played did not change. I was. It was remarkable to me at how well they functioned with you know their starting safety out and their starting right cornerback or left cornerback, excuse me. So I, you know, their draft develop and and bring guys, you know, they got pretty much Nico Thorpe for free, and all of a sudden he could turn into uh, a boundary cornerback. For the future, it's just amazing, um, you know. And you know, moving forward, Brock Coyle's hurt a little bit this week, so 
You're going to hear a little bit about KPL in the game, but you may see some of Jordan Tripp, which, you know, people are not that familiar with, but they picked him up off the street from, I think, Jacksonville or Jacksonville or or Miami, whatever. And, you know, a former Brock Coyle uh, teammate, you know, he, he may get into the game and get significant stat, snaps. And then moving forward, we've been doing, what, three weeks now without Michael Bennett? And, yeah, and I the, think. The play, yeah. Of Frank, the play of Frank Clark, Cassius Marsh, and uh, some of the other role players like Demontre Moore since he's come along has been amazing. Um, Frank Clark is going to turn into the premier pass rusher on this team eventually. Um, you know, they just the, – the ability for this team to get deeper and better just – it. You know, you wouldn't wouldn't have believed it at the beginning of the season that, you know, week 12 we're going to be missing all these people. But in the end, I think we'll be better off be, because of it. Really? Yeah. Uh, you're going – these guys this weekend are getting invaluable reps in in significant football games where it's going to do a lot for their confidence moving forward. Uh, guys like Nico Thorpe, um, are, I think they'll find their, themselves feeling even more connected to this team based on the trust that the coaching staff has shown in them and just plug them in and said, all right, here's your opportunity. Just go execute. And, you know, it, I think it makes the depth – of this team moving into the playoffs even better. I mean, I I don't disagree with a sense of I think it's always a good thing to have our depth have an opportunity to play um, in a game. It's it's just a little bit tougher for me in regards to when I feel like there's there's potentially a lot of different uh, injuries at one time. I I don't mind sure. it when there's like maybe one. And they're getting a feel for it, but everything else is pretty secure. Um, but when you have um, several different people in Wholesale because of injuries, like we so have, that's <laughs> yeah. So that's a little bit more. Um, that's a little bit more something that does concern me. But does it concern me enough to think that we won't win or that the, the Seahawks won't win? No, I, I think that they still can win and will win. Um, but with that said. You know, one of the things that I, I was listening to in a podcast was when they were talking about how practice squad, uh, the, the practice squad of the Seahawks travels with them and how uh, that's not common. And I didn't realize that's not common, and I didn't realize they also traveled with them. But it, it says a lot about how this team really uh, has the mindset that these individuals are going to play at some point, that they are not just warming the bench um, or or things of that nature, um, that there is a plan for them. Because sometimes I think uh, the, the mentalities maybe of other teams is that they're just there as the practice squad and, and why why should they, you know, expend the money to, to travel with them. But I think it does help overall in uh, the transitions that may need to happen at times. So yeah. I, I I think that's a very good point that it gives them an opportunity to just experience the the 
the steps of going through a game day uh, away from home. Um, you know, they, they understand how the team prepares on the road to, to play a game. And that way it's not – those – those things are taking away a young man's mindset when he's seen how it operates. So all they have to do on the road is concentrate on being the best they can on the field because they're already familiar with the ins and outs of, you know, of traveling on the road uh, and, and how the team does, you know, game day. It's not like they don't walk into a stadium, you know, with no idea how how the team operates on game day on the road, they they they're already experienced it. They're already prepared. So it's it's just a question of getting down to business. And yeah, I guess a lot of teams will save some money. I guess that's that's the reason that they do it. But Seattle's done I, that since Pete arrived. So I I like the way they normalize games for everybody. And and what what I mean right. by that is. When I'm talking about even big games, quote unquote big games in the eyes of people, normalize it and say in the sense of this is just like any other game. You win it like in any other way, in the same way that you would win any other game, and um, don't let the moment get too big. Just and also that expectation to believe that you deserve to be here, and you you're supposed to be here. And I think injecting that even in the feel of the whole team, including the practice squad of having those guys walk those, walk the field, hear the crowds, know how it feels like to be in the sidelines or hear everything that you hear, even if you're not physically going to go in and play. Um, I think it's actually quite smart and I'm, I'm surprised that not more teams utilize it, even if it is a money saving, uh, even if it is a money saver not to bring them. I, I think you can tell uh, when teams are only thinking about their starters and haven't thought about the depth, as if starters never get injured. And um, and you've seen – I mean, I think we've all seen teams kind of collapse when they haven't really uh, invested the amount of time needed to um, get their, their – Their depth players prepared, depth, yeah. Yeah, prepared. Um I mean, I kind of, as much as I, I, I actually honestly felt that way even with when I watched Harbaugh's team uh, with the 49ers back in the day uh, when he was the coach still there. Uh, he, I, there was times where I felt like he didn't, he didn't um, get his, his backups ready. Um, I felt like he, what, go, yeah. what, what were we going to say? On, focused on what he thought was the elite part of the team and maybe neglected some of the, the developmental portions of, of the roster. And, and, you know, and I felt I, like he suffered at, it, for it at times because it, the, the, the people were so banged up by postseason that you saw it falter in the postseason. Whereas if he had done more to protect some of the things, because some, some of these guys never, got any rest or got any, uh, I don't know, freedom. Um, not freedom, but I don't know what how to phrase it. But I just I just know I used to watch uh, the team and feel like, man, they really need to kind of figure out how to cultivate cultivate their depth if they, they're going to have longevity in, 
in 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 this season because some of the, some of their games were rough. But right now it's kind of a moot point because uh, ever since his exit, it's, it's it's just I don't know. It's not been the same team, obviously. Um, but I haven't been watching them, you know. It's and and that's how wild is that, right? I mean, it was our biggest rivalry, right. and now it's kind of like uh, they feel so irrelevant that it's kind of, you know, I'll see you guys when you're here. But. Here, I'll put I'll put it to you this way: the Miami Dolphins are out three starting offensive linemen. I'm not picking the 49ers to beat them. <laughs> There's no yeah. way. I, that's that's come to the point where. Even if the Miami Dolphins are missing players, I wouldn't pick against uh, the Dolphins against the 49ers. There's just no way. Um, don't believe in anything they got. I believe that they're broken from the top. Um, so, no. It's fun to revel in their pain a little bit. Um, <laughs> I remember, see, because I remember back when the Rams used to pretty much dominate the Seahawks. Um and then to, to see what they've become since then is quite enjoyable. Um, they were quite a good team with uh, Kurt Warner and then with Mark Bulger. They they gave the Seahawks everything every time they played them. It was a rivalry with the Rams for a while, and now it's a joke. Uh, Jeff Fisher is robbing uh, whoever owns the Los Angeles Rams he must have you know, incriminating evidence of some kind in order to be keeping his job because he's a terrible coach. Uh, it just, it all, I kind of got off on a rant there, but uh, there doesn't seem to be any kind of plan in Los Angeles of what the team wants to become. And year in and year out, they're adjusting at the, during the season, nobody really knows. I mean, they've drafted the NFL's Rookie of the Year running back, but a year later, they don't even know how to use him properly. Nobody's hearing anything about Todd Gurley this year. Um, you know, and they pay, I think they pay Tavon Austin more than Doug Baldwin makes. Uh, could you imagine the Seahawks playing, paying a player? That'd be like paying Paul Richardson. Uh, Doug Baldwin's contract based on Paul Richardson's production as well. So, I don't know. The Rams are broken. It's kind of of easy to be in the NFC West this year because it seems like all three of the teams are kind of broken. And, I mean, I think that that really drives home the point of how difficult it is to stay relevant within the NFL. It is a. It, it's it's that's why I think when you look at teams like the New England Patriots or when people look at the Seattle Seahawks, there is this realization that what they're doing, what they're accomplishing, is not an easy feat. You can have nope. such a seemingly dominant team one year and then the next year they're abysmal. I mean, even if you look at the Panthers and and just uh, Cam saying that this is a must-win game, uh, that when you have. So, a team that was was in the Super Bowl speaking with such desperation the following year. It, it can turn on a dime like that. It's, it's, it's the reality that unless you have a really strong vision, and I think that that's the reality that both Belichick and P. Carroll have a very strong vision, a very strong mentality of what they're about, that there's, there's other teams 
where the head coaches don't have what they don't have anything set in their minds as solid. They sometimes can go with the wind. Um, not now, Belichick and Pete Carroll, I think, are great about um, adjusting, but adjusting is different than changing who you are or what your what your mantra is, what your mentality is, what sure. your philosophy is. Uh, you to go make, with the changing yeah, of the wind. Adjusting is not wholesale change, but mm-hmm. you know, adjusting for the way the league plays or the way your roster. Um, it's finding ways to fit people into into or finding new ways to utilize the people you already have. Um, so, yeah, I I think that this particular leadership group and the Seahawks have done this. I keep telling people. This is the best it's ever been, so enjoy it. But but as part of it, I enjoy the, the building process and the rebuilding process in the off season just as much as the regular season. I, I've enjoyed the way they've gone about their business. Um, they've found numerous different ways to, uh, to acquire players outside of just drafting and trading. Um, it, it's been fun. It, it it would I couldn't imagine being a hopeless Cleveland Browns fan um, the, because the idea there 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 seems to be no plan um, and you know the, you can see the plan in Seattle and you can see the results of it working yeah absolutely I'm I what do you think at the end of the day uh, this game is going to look like in the sense of how close do you think this game is going to be? Between You mean the Tampa Bay uh, mm-hmm. Seattle game this weekend? Yeah. I, you know what? I could, I could see this as a 21-27 game. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's not a 21-27 game. I think it's more like a, I would rather like to see uh, like a 24-10. I don't want to see, uh, the Buccaneers score that much, but I have a feeling with all the replacement players, it's going to be a whole lot of of keeping in front of you, uh, defend the turf, and and try not to give up touchdowns. I think they may give up more points than normal, but I think that the Seahawks' offense kind of carries the day, if you will. Um, I think uh, it's going to be a lot on on the leaders on the offense to just stay ahead of, of the Buccaneers and uh, simplify the game a little bit for the, the, the Seahawks defense, you know, maybe get a lead and allow those pass rushers a little freedom to get after Jameis. I mean, Jameis is a little elusive, but I think that, that Cassius, Frank Clark, Cliff Averill could have a really good day, especially if, if, if the Seahawks take Doug Martin out of the game, which is probably the uh, the, the first thing they would choose to do was uh, shut down the run game. Uh, you've got Sherman probably going to follow Evans. So it's going to be a question of who out of that remainder from the Buccaneers is going to hurt them on offense. So I, I, I could see this being a field goal. Uh, difference, but I think the Seahawks go ahead and 
it's going to be tougher. And you're right. This is this has got trap game written all over. It's going to be a much tougher game than most people would expect. I think had had the Seahawks been 100 percent healthy, this could have easily been a blowout. But it's not going to be. It's going to be uh, it's going to be another blood pressure game. I think so. No. I mean, uh, isn't what that? What were you thinking? <laughs> I uh, think I think it's going to be a normal Seahawks game, where yeah. I don't understand why people always think, oh, it's going to be big, it's going to be a big blowout game, and and it's and it's no, most likely it's the last few minutes. People are munching on their uh, on their fingernails and and worrying, but knowing and deep down inside that it's something that it's going to be pulled off by. Um, by the team. Now, here's the thing. I mean, who knows? Maybe it can be a, a, a blowout game. You never know. That's a great thing about about football is is people surprise you, teams surprise you. The times when you think that it's not going to work out is the time when they, they, they seem to step up. So who knows? Maybe things go way better than expected. But sometimes uh, this team in the past have had the tendency to start a little slow um, but maybe if we see that they're staying on schedule, that they're actually uh, doing efficient drives, they're not letting things die, curse catches the ball, you know, things of that nature. If it happens, well, you then this – yeah, Hey, well, I love our boy over here, but you got, we got to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> we got to be honest, yep. and he has not been stepping up. He hasn't been accomplishing the things that he needs to. I don't know where his mindset is. I feel like whenever I watch any other Seattle Seahawks wide receiver, they contest that ball, and they win right. most of the time. But when I watch Curse, I'm like, where are you contesting? Where are you fighting? Where, where, yeah. Why are you not seemingly fighting for that ball, for one? And secondly, there's an awareness that especially Doug Baldwin has has in regards to keeping his toes in and things of that nature. Sometimes I get I feel like Curtis gets sloppy. He's not watching where he's at. It could be a very dynamic play. It could have changed the course of that game and instead, oh, his he's his feet weren't in. Um just that some of that awareness needs to be there for Curse and I, I believe in him. I still believe in him. I'm not giving up on him, and obviously the rest of his team is not giving up on him. But something's got to give. Something needs to be working in his mind that goes, I'm going to contest these balls, I'm going to fight for these, and I'm going to win out on it. I don't know why there doesn't seem to be as much of a drive in him to do that. I, I really don't know. I don't, and so it's kind of frustrating because I know it's in him. So, uh, But I, yeah. I, I, my, my knee-jerk reaction is to believe that this will be a hard-fought game. Yeah, I believe and it'll be so close. as well. Um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. Uh, you know, the measure, you know, the, the talent on each side of an NFL football teams is so close that injuries balance the field really quickly. Um, so uh, this is a much more uh, – even matchup than it was know, two weeks ago, just based off of just just with the absence of Earl Thomas, um, <laughs> kind of you take Superman out of the out of the Justice League and, and it's going to impact. I mean, when you're trying to get it done with Aquaman, when it used to be done by Superman, I mean it's a little different. Uh, no. uh, 
you kind of have to adjust for Aquaman being in there because Superman used to do everything. Now some other people are going to be responsible for some of the things that you just took for granted when Earl was out there, and that's going to make a difference, and I think that makes the game closer. But in the end, the Seahawks are going to win Aaron Kirby. I know you won't ever hear this, but Buccaneer fan Aaron Kirby, the Seahawks are going to dominate and win over your Buccaneers. All right, look at you. So, smack talking someone <laughs> you never believe will listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, you know, he won't even listen to his own podcast, let alone ours. So, I, you know, that's okay. Maybe someone will tell him that I talked mess about him. That's okay. <laughs> well, let's talk about the upcoming games uh, that we have. The first one is nope. the Cardinals versus nope. the Falcons. Wait a minute. Stop. What? We have to talk about uh, the most important football game being played in the state of Washington on Friday. We have to talk oh. about the University of Washington Huskies going to the Palouse, to Pullman, out there to Cougar Country, and absolutely putting the Dominating. smack mm-hmm. down on the Cougars, uh, coming the Pac-12 North champion and lining themselves up for a championship game Friday night versus the University of Colorado here. Uh, No, actually, that's being played down in Santa Clara in the 49ers uh, stadium. So I believe with a win, the University of Washington will make it to the college football playoff. Uh, I talked about how special this season was going to be earlier, earlier, um, three, four podcasts ago. Uh, they did lose one game to the University of Southern California, but in the end, I don't think it's going to affect them so negatively. I think they will be in the college football championship. Um, I think I'm estimating that their opponent for the first game will probably be Clemson, and I have a feeling that they could possibly beat Clemson, and then it's going to be I think it will end up being the University of Alabama versus Washington in the championship game if you will, um, I would give the nod there to Alabama because they have just, you know, athletes at every position. But this is such an amazing accomplishment for the University of Washington. I believe it's four or maybe five years ago this team didn't win one game. And to go from a over season to becoming the Pac-12 champion uh, Chris Peterson has rebuilt the program. I think this is a new era for the Huskies. They're going to continue uh, moving forward to be the, the cream of the crop, the class of the Pac-12, if you will. I believe that Oregon's days are over with, and it's now going to be Huskies, Huskies, Huskies for the next 10 years because Chris Peterson signed a 10-year contract. So shout out credit 
love what the Huskies are doing. They're so much fun to watch. There's at least three or four NFL football players on that team. So I just had to get my points in. I'm sure. Did you even watch the game? I didn't, but I did watch the score as it was continuing to go up. So uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not that I am not interested. It's the most significant game in Washington State. This weekend, and I and and, and the thing is, watch. I I I know, and I and I knew it was, um. So I so that's why I watched the score. Um, I <laughs> the I was doing errands. I was getting uh I was getting tires, <laughs> new tires, um, and 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 getting medicine for my my father. So um so I I, I, right. I did miss. I give you oh. credit first of all that you you were buying something to improve the safety of your vehicle. But second and most importantly, you were doing something to take care of your your family and your father. I'll give you credit for that. Yeah. Don't don't miss <laughs> Friday's game then. Your 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 assignment for this week is to watch the championship game between And so if they the win this is for sure if they win this, it's for sure they it go in, or sure. the chances okay, are first higher. Of all, here, here's how it works. College football is based off of a really flawed system, first of all. Uh, they only have four teams in the playoff. It should be more. So they, it comes down to decision-making, and once the decision-making from the committee is influenced by bias, once you include bias into the equation, East Coast bias, if you will, always seems to be apparent. So the Big Ten and the SEC always seem to get more credit than the Pac-12 does. But the Pac-12 seems to get more credit when teams like Oregon or USC are good. Um uh, University of Washington's new being back on the scene, so they don't quite get the 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 cred, if you will, that that USC or Oregon get. So it's it's harder to overcome the bias. So there is a possibility that they win and get screwed. Um, and the and the you know just people being upset the. the um, if the Big 12 were to get two teams in and those two teams have a worse record than the University of Washington, it could make a whole lot of fans upset. But it's possible because it's chosen by the committee and journalists that stay up for West Coast games as often as they do for those in the East. So, But I would... I would almost guarantee if they beat Colorado, they're in. Okay. So th- there's a chance, well, that would be exciting. I, I would expect them. I was. Ex- I would expect them if they win against Colorado to be in the in the playoffs. If not, they're you know if they beat Colorado and don't make it in, they will go to the Rose Bowl for sure. It would be nice to get back to the Rose Bowl because it was traditionally the destination for the Pack. 12, which was the 10, I mean, I go back 
when it was the Pac-8. So <laughs> that's how far back I go. Um, there's been four teams join this conference <laughs> in my life. So um, anyway, so that's what we're looking at. It's going to be a great game. Uh, Colorado. And what time got- is it going to be and what channel? Oh, uh, don't ask me questions like that. Consult your local listings. I mean, they'll tell you. Where, uh, I'll just throw it out there. You're like, you in. better be watching I, it. I, I will do the work for you and tell you where to turn in, and I'll, I'll give you a 30 minutes to kick off a reminder so you can watch the game. That sounds good but to everyone me. Everyone else can. All right. So that was just. All right. So you want to get into this week's games? I do. Are you ready I... for the? You ready for the domination that I don't think I'm going to look back. I might I might get them all right this week. Well, uh I probably feel um I probably feel the least confident in my picks this week, but at the same time I'm like, you know what? I think that I just I just have to be willing to not try to win and just go with my gut because Right. I think I think doing so well I got really like into it to the point that I don't want to lose and you can't play scared you just can't uh and I always say that when I watch any football team that those that do well they just can't play scared and they can't overthink things and so I'm I need to be willing to lose this round uh if I'm wrong but I gotta make a decision that um make decisions that I can live with and know that I yep. went with my gut. So the first one is the Atlanta versus Falcons game. What do you got? Um, this is the one that I was contemplating switching. Uh, it was reported before we started that Desmond Trufant, Marcus's uh, brother, that's the starting cornerback for the Falcons will be – probably having season-ending surgery for a torn pectoral. So, you know, looking at the the Cardinals and their attack with uh, with John Brown, J.J. Nelson, um, Larry Fitzgerald, I think it evens the matchup a little bit for me, but not enough for me to actually change the pick. I think Atlanta at home, um, the Cardinals are banged up. I'm not sure. The injury report's not conclusive, but it looks like they have just lots and lots of guys that are banged up um, that may not go at all, like Michael Floyd, uh, a couple cornerbacks. They just got players banged up across the the board. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Falcons to win at home over the Cardinals. Uh, I have the Falcons as well um, winning. Uh, now, now your gut the, tells you Falcons because why? Um, you know, honestly, it comes down to what Matt Ryan will do in regards to the protection of the ball. I, If we look at the games that they've lost, um, it was ga- – it was aside from the Tampa Bay game, which was the first game they they played. Uh, all of them had an interception. Um, there was only one game I think that they still won, even though they had an interception. If he can protect, if 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 Matt Ryan just protects the ball, um, if there's no interception, 
I think that they they can get it get it done. I think the other thing is how, what their defense done does in regards to uh, to the run game in the red zone as well. Um, but I I just think that they can pull this out, and I don't feel like the Cardinals. Uh, I think are are doing well in the sense of the well, receivers I mean, not doing well. The and then. On top of it, Carson Palmer doing all right, but it's it's just it's not the same. Mentally, emotional, uh, emotionally, he's just I don't I don't know something's missing. There's an ingredient missing right now in this year um, with how they're performing that I just don't believe that they'll pull through on the road. Yeah, I think that it, for the Cardinals to have a chance to win this game, it has to be David Johnson. It has to be. David Johnson, David Johnson, David Johnson, in order to keep the game close. So, it, but knowing Bruce Arians, he's not going to commit to running the ball uh, in that fashion. He likes big plays. He likes chunk plays in in the passing game. Um, you know, just how how we spoke earlier of how the Seahawks use their players. To the best of their abilities and kind of adjust what they need to do according to what their players are good at. I think Arians is more of a, a, a square peg into a round hole and I'll make it fit kind of cool coach to me. And uh, and then in addition to that, you have his health concern from last weekend. So I don't know exactly how focused the coaching staff, the the team might be uh, going on the road to a, a – Falcons really need this one too uh, in order to just stay uh, at the top in the south. I think the Falcons really need this win. Um, so, yeah, I'm taking and I mean, Falcons as well. Yeah, and I mean if we look at the reality of it, when the Cardinals have been on the road this this year, they've lost each one except for the, the game against the 49ers. Um, and that's that's a divisional rival, so um, that that's always going to be played differently. So I think it's more telling how they handle other road games to say that maybe they're just not they're not able to pull it out as as easily wins while they're it, on the road. I think more than anything, it comes down to preparation, and they haven't prepared uh, well to go on the road, and you know they have issues. They have issues. Their number one draft pick can't even see the field because they can't – or I don't know if he's a first-round draft pick, but he, they can't get him to focus and practice correctly. So, you know, that whole franchise is, <laughs> is is falling apart, and we get to enjoy it. We get to enjoy the benefits. All right, so what you got next? The next uh, game is the Jaguars versus the Bills. Jaguars. And I think you know where okay. I, we would go with this. I think we're both slam dunk on the Bills um, because right now it just seems like the Jaguars are broken. Um, I Gus is not going to survive this year. I can. I don't think you know, he will either. Not it's it's not going to happen. It, it, I mean, unless you've got reason, it, a, a got some Fisher in together. him. Yeah, well, you know, if Shad Khan. Uh, sticks with him. That 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 would surprise me. Um, there's no reason 
nothing that would even make me question my pick of the Bills here. I think they're just better on defense. Uh, they run the ball better. As long as LaShawn McCoy is on the field, I'm going to go with the team that can run. A weird thing coming out uh, from injury reports is uh, Percy Harvin seems to be having migraine headaches again and can't Mm. play football. Um, So Shocker. uh, Shocker, isn't it? And I believe it was Go Freaking Hawks that tweeted this out yesterday, and I, I... you know what? There's way more truth to it than than I, than appears on the on the surface. But it, I think he just came back to football to try and beat the Seahawks. <laughs> now that it didn't work, that they didn't beat them on Monday night, and he wasn't any impact in the game. Now his desire for whatever it was, because remember he fought to get on the field in Seattle to play against Mm -hmm. the Vikings. And then after Mm -hmm. that, he was hurt again for the rest of the season until until another significant football game that he was interested in playing in. I think his desire to play football is either glory-related or revenge-related, and it's never for the love of the game. Um, What a a waste of talent. yeah. So, but yeah, Percy's got a headache. Hope you feel better, Percy. Drink some water. Stay <laughs> hydrated. <laughs> All right. So well, you and I both on the Bills. So right now we are in lockstep, moving forward. To so, uh, what city are you taking me to next? Uh, the Titans versus the Bears. So we're going to Chicago. So last mm-hmm. year, we. First of all, the Bears couldn't win at home last year. This year has been a little different, a little different. It's been a change in in some of the defensive tenure of the Bears. But when you look on the offensive side of the ball, it's the same problem. Um, I believe you tweeted out a question before we even started this particular podcast. You tweeted a question about quarterback on uh, Twitter, and you were asking people, uh, I don't know how to word it exactly because I'm not looking at I said, at who do you tweet. think is mentally tough and who's mentally weak? All right. And the mentally weakest starting quarterback in the NFL to me over the past three seasons has been Jay Cutler. Um, body language is terrible. Never seems to – it, you know – it never seems that he takes accountability for poor play, uh, bad decisions, or it, it doesn't seem to be in connection with his uh, with his teammates. Uh, you know, mailed in the rest of the season. Now he's hurt again. I don't think he'll ever be back as a bear. I think this is. And this is this is no groundbreaking statement. I don't believe he'll be back as the Bears quarterback next year. I think they need to move on. Titans are fool me every other week, but for this week I'm going with the Titans and this week they don't fool me. This week I think I got it right. 
the Titans run well against the Bears, and they run the Bears right out of town in their own city. Um, there may be more Titans fans at a Chicago Bear game today than there are Chicago Bear fans. That will be a sad sight. Um, you know, I keep picking the Titans to win the South, but then, then you know, the the, the week after they have a really great game, they they let me down. So, still kind of, still hoping, still going to be on those Titans in the uh, AFC South uh, moving forward. But there, I just don't see any way the Bears win. What do you have? Well, I mean, Matt Barkley is in instead of Jay Cutler this week. Um, I ha- but with, even with that, I I I mean, I have no idea how he'll perform. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm still going with the Titans here. Um, I just don't. I just don't believe in in the Bears. Uh, we just so I just saw this tweet because you you said that you know he felt you felt like Jay Cutler's the weakest and. And then it says, Bears feel Jay Cutler is their toughest player, <laughs> which I thought, oh, that's so funny that you just said you felt like he was the weakest quarterback. Yeah, but, I don't know. It, it's always been that he's always had that that demeanor. It doesn't look like he cares. I mean, if you but if that's you just Google, his face. <laughs> uh, yeah, but if you Google uh, smoking Jay Cutler, it's you know. There's a thousand images out there where they photoshopped a cigarette into some of his faces, and it's just hilarious. But it just doesn't seem like he's invested anymore in the success of this team. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think John Fox survives as a, a head coach in Chicago, and I don't think that Jay Cutler or Alshon Jeffrey are. Uh, going to make it on this team either next year. I think there's going to be quite a bit of turnover and change in Chicago. I have a friend yeah. of mine who's a Chicago Bears fan, and he's like, uh, can the season be over quick enough so you can start looking at uh, draft prospects for me so I can know who my team is going to be for next year? Because I seem to do better at picking players that the Bears pick up than I do at Picking Seahawks, so he wants to know who his quarterback's <laughs> going to be for next year, and I'm I'm supposed to do the research for him. That's funny. That's awesome, though. Yeah. That's that's us trust right there. Uh, okay, yeah. so the next the next game is uh, whoops, here we go. The Bengals versus the Ravens. All right. So first blush, first what this uh, it's a division game. Division game between Bengals and Ravens. Oh, wait. All the Bengals are broken. Uh, The best parts of their offense are no longer being able to play. A.J. Green is gone. Giovanni Bernard is gone. There's no way. Everything is on Andy Dalton um, to get it done with backups. Uh, his, His two security blankets, if you will, have been taken away. There's no way I'm not taking the Ravens at home. And, of course, that means the Bengals are going to find a way to upset. This might be the one upset. that, w- But I feel like pretty much everyone else will be on on the Ravens pick. 
I don't I don't think I I bet you it's probably a ninety percent pick uh, right now. Let me look. The Ravens are currently eighty seven percent uh what do you look at picking this? the Baltimore? Ah, uh, you know, I'm looking at things. So right now they're eighty seven percent of the ESPN pick'em uh picks have, are on the uh Ravens, so I'm going to stick with the majority and take the Ravens. I have the Ravens as well, but that's always because of of I've never been a big believer in the Bengals and what the Bengals is a, are about. Um, I I still am not a fan of Andy Dalton uh, personally. I just I don't know. I feel like he's lackluster. Uh, but I mean, I, there's just nothing in there that uh, that. Makes me believe that you're going to. Andy Dalton's a second level quarterback who's going to. He's going to keep his franchise in limbo. He's good enough to, when things are right around him, to get the team to the playoffs. Not sure if a team is going to be good enough to win and advance to the Super Bowl when it's built around him. However, he plays in a manner that's good enough to, that would keep them middling with draft picks, so they're not going to have a high first-round draft pick. They'll be in the 15 to 20 or 15 to 25 era or, you know, level when they're selecting. So uh, the Bengals are going to be stuck with Andy Dalton for a while. Um and it's you know it's going to be a little better than 500, but never win a championship. And I think that's kind of what you're going to expect from that franchise moving forward. And with as banged up as they are, there's just no way they're going to go into Baltimore and, and win. To me. Well, yeah, absolutely, I agree. Uh, the next one is the New York Giants versus the Browns. Okay, this one has a probability of 96% of all the ESPN picks are on the Giants. So if you really wanted to make up some ground, you could pick the Cleveland Browns. But I picked the Cleveland Browns once this year, and that was my best shot for them to win. That was you and I both choosing them to beat the Jets. There is no way I'm picking the Browns to beat the Giants. Giants. Where are you um, seeing these numbers? Uh, the if you go to the pick the uh, pick'em page, go to your entry on your pick'em page, and uh-huh. it'll show you the it'll show you what you picked, and it'll show you the percentages of what people picked. So I'm giving you away information. You, uh, you just go to your anyway. So the Giants have to keep pace right now. Um, Actually, the Giants are in a good position with uh, the Redskins losing on Thanksgiving. Uh, Right now, there's there's no real chance of them. If if the Cowboys slip, the Giants have to keep themselves right there ready to to make it. They are the only team that has defeated the Cowboys this year. If they beat them a second time, 
the Cowboys would only have to lose one more time, and all of a sudden the New York Giants are leading the NFC East. So, you know, people keep – people are under the impression that the Cowboys are running away with, with their division. If they slip up, they can find the New York Giants right there. So, you know, I'm taking the Giants to beat the, the Browns all day. It wouldn't matter if this game was in Mexico, it was in London – It doesn't matter where New York plays this game. They're going to win. Well, I'm crazy. (laughs) What? No. (laughs) I am. Um, Okay. I'm I'm going to tumble down so. I'm I'm going to tumble down so bad, and I recognize that I am going to tumble down so bad uh, this week. I did choose the Browns, and this is the reason why. I saw the Giants last week, and I thought, gosh, for a 7-3 team, they really stink. <laughs> like, they're – I don't know how they're a 7-3 team. Like, they're not – Because it – well, you're watching the wrong side of the ball. You're being fooled by Eli and, and Odell Beckham Jr. And, and the dysfunction on offense. Um, the defense is very good. Maybe that's uh, if, why. If, Maybe if, that's why. If the Giants, um, if the Giants could figure out how to run the ball, they'd be a much better offensive team than they are now. They have the weapons at wide receiver. Sterling Shepard is a is a wonderful wide receiver, uh, and Victor Cruz is their third best wide receiver. Maybe um, they have good special teams and they have good pass rushers. So, I guess the re- you know. the reason I'm willing to take this humongous, almost straight up crazy, uh, risk is because yes. almost um, straight up crazy. No, straight up crazy. <laughs> I I look at um, gosh, I don't know. I I'm You're not, talking about I just, Josh McCown playing quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, throwing and, it to think, another quarterback. <laughs> I, I, I got you. I got you. You are going to make up ground on everybody if you get it correct. I just don't think um, you're going to get it correct. Oh, here's the here here's the deal though. Um, you look at all the losses that you you look at all the losses that they've had over um, over this whole year, which is every single game for the Cleveland Browns. Um, And I just... I I cannot believe you are about to select an 0-11 team to beat a 7-3 team. I know. I know. It doesn't make any good sense. No, it makes Phoebe sense, I guess. I, it, but the here's the thing, right? When I look at when Josh uh, went in there, uh, the second week, the eighth week, uh, he he had it. They were so close to winning both of those games. It was they lost twenty to twenty five. They lost twenty eight to thirty one. And then the week ten and eleven, he didn't play barely anything on those games. But when he was in last game, right, so the, the Kessler gets injured. He goes out of the game. I mean, it was an abysmal game. 
there was there was no score pretty much throughout that whole time. McCowan goes in. It's the only touchdown they get in that whole game, but it was like in the fourth quarter. I just yeah. believe that if if McCowan is there for a full game like he was in um, in the second week and the eighth week, it will look closer to how they looked versus Baltimore and versus the New York Jets than what they have been looking like with the rest of the of the, the the games that they've played when they've played like three different quarterbacks. As long as he doesn't get injured, I still think they can do it because honestly, I think I think it's fool's gold with New York Giants. I do. I feel like they they are looking better on paper and and, and wins and losses than what they actually are. So even though I thought it was closer, a closer bet for them to win versus the New York Jets and it didn't work out, I was willing to take another bet on, on a New York team to lose um, against them. And I, I, I don't think it's crazy. So, okay. <laughs> All right, cat lady. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> What's that mean? Uh, that I'm going to be uh, alone and uh, old with lady. a bunch of cats? All right. Yeah. So where are we going next? Uh, L.A. Rams. Crazy. <laughs> the oh, Rams okay. versus the Saints. All right. So, so we've got four and six versus four and six. Now, for me, the four and six Saints are a different level four and six than the Rams are. The Rams are going to take a rookie quarterback who couldn't break the lineup until week 10 or 11. Uh, now, they're going to take Jared Goff on the road into one of the toughest places to play in the NFL, and that's the uh, Superdome in, in, in New Orleans. Um, you know, I think that the Saints might be the best 4-6 and six team you know, and one of those four is uh, is a win against the Seattle Seahawks. That's what makes it even more frustrating. But I just don't see the Rams being able to go into New Orleans and score enough points. The problem with the Rams is when they win games, they win games 12 to 10, 13 to 9, uh, 13 to 7. Um, New Orleans scores 20-plus points a game they are not going to be able to keep up with the offensive production of New Orleans. It would take uh, numerous mistakes, turnovers, and even special teams touchdowns maybe for the Rams to score that much points. Give me the Saints all day. I have the Saints down as well. Um, Okay, can I just say, going back real quick to the Cleveland Browns, can I just say this to say my piece? Sure. Uh, the the problem with what happened with McCowan on week two and week eight is he threw aside from throwing two intercept uh, two touchdowns he threw two interceptions on both of those games. I'm saying that if he can keep from those interceptions and he just has those touchdowns, then they have a real chance of winning. So I'm just going, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, so 49ers versus Dol- Dolphins. Okay, and this is another 96 percent. Everybody, all the money's on the Dolphins right now. The Dolphins are running the ball really well. 
with Jay Ajayi. Um, he's had a couple <laughs> 200 did yards. Say? That's his name. It's like Ajayi or something like that. Um, I think he's from. I think he's from London. I mean, maybe you're saying it properly, but it's just the way you're saying it that cracks me up. Yeah, it could be. All right. Well, that running back guy, how's that for Miami? He's been (laughs) running really well. So Jay's got a couple games of over 200 yards. Couple that against the San Francisco 49ers, the worst team against the run in the NFL. They have given up over 100 yards to a running back in almost every single game this year, they could give up 300 yards to Jay Ajayi today in Miami. Um, this could, this is, this has got the, you know, this, this looks like a game where the starting running back gets 150, 200 yards and the backup guy comes in and gets 70 and 80. Um, they are going to run the ball all day on the Niners. And this pro- this will probably be the shortest game of the day. It will probably be over uh, faster than all the other games being played at the same time because Miami is just going to run, 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 run. And, you know, the 49ers are going to run and catch their plane back out of town. Give me the Dolphins. Yeah, I'm I'm with you right there. Uh, it's the Dolphins, and I can't see anything in regards to the 49ers winning this game. Uh, I was on a podcast earlier this morning at 6.15, um, and, you know, uh, the, the host, he's his team is the 49ers, and obviously you have to, right. to, uh, you have to support your, your team. Um you know, and he had just called. Um, he he was just he was playing in some ways, but just calling every team in the NFC West to win today. And I said, "Where? What do you see in the 49ers that would ever make you believe that they can beat the Dolphins?" You know, right. obviously it's part of just loyalty. Um, but sure. there isn't anything that I'm seeing out of the 49ers right now. It's it. I still think to this day, even though it's been a at least a year or so. Since I mean I forget how long Harbaugh's not been there there, but has it just been a year? It just it feels like it's been forever. But I still every time I look at that team I think man, this is what stubbornness um, or being unable to work with someone does. You you mm-hmm. literally jeopardize your whole franchise because you couldn't get along. Um, and we are really blessed in uh, the Northwest when we have a team that is surrounded with coaches that uh, that like each other and a, a coach and a GM that like each other and an sure. owner that works well with them. Because, man, that it's so sad to we, that, that it's like a year or so later and, and we're talking about just how irrelevant the 49ers are. Okay, the next one, San Diego Chargers versus the Texans. Okay, we're going to kind of pick up the pace, but this one, I changed my mind. And I changed my mind 10 minutes ago. And I changed it for what reason, I don't know. But I am selecting the San Diego Chargers to win this game over the Houston Texans. Don't know why. I think that the Chargers have been a little snake bit all year. But they've been in almost every game that they've played. I just don't believe in the Houston Texans. Um, 
even that game last week, they didn't look good at all. Um, give me, I'm going to take the Chargers here. I I have the Chargers here. I don't even think it's a question for me. Uh, four six versus six four is the most deceiving stat line that you'll ever see in regards to this game. I think it is. The Chargers are four yeah. six in a division that's incredibly hard right now. Uh, they are the one division that has absolutely well, not the the only division, but the a division that every team uh, has a point differential that's positive. The Chargers have a point differential right. that's positive, despite being 4-6. Um, sure. This is a team that's a lot stronger than people recognize. And the Houston Texans having 6-4 are a lot weaker than than the Chargers, I believe. I, I don't even think it's a competition in my mind. So it was very easy for me to choose the Chargers. Hopefully that's not – I mean, the fact that you wrestled with that a little bit more, I'm hope, hoping that I'm not missing something um, that – makes this not as much of a slam dunk as I thought it was in my own head. Um, but, yes, I had chosen the Chargers there. So, obviously, we already chose the Buccaneers. So, the next one is Panth- Panthers versus Raiders. All right. So, you know, Bobby talked about this. This is a must-win situation for Carolina. And it's tough to be in a must-win situation and have to go against probably – the second best team in the AFC right now. Um, the, the Raiders are playing really well, uh, balanced, running the ball, got weapons to throw it around to. Carolina's on the road without the heart of their defense. Um, well, maybe not the heart, but maybe the the you know. Imagine us without Bobby Wagner. You know, it's they're they're going to be missing Keekley. It's mm-hmm. hard for me and. And when that side of the ball is down, the other side of the ball needs to step up and carry the team. So the, in order for me to select the Carolina Panthers, I'd have to have confidence in Cam's ability to overtake a game and and lead this team on the road to a victory. And I haven't seen him from him this year. Um, I I just don't see it. I, I like Oakland at home. Uh, uh, me too. I mean, to me, Oakland is uh, has been a, an incredibly great team. Um, and they, I remember two they, years ago saying, uh, I remember two years ago saying, just give them two years, and this team is going to be relevant again. And and they are. They are incredibly relevant. Yeah. Uh, well, and they're and, fun. And to, if you look, that's they're they're fun to watch, but it also they're also having fun playing the game. Um, you know, I wasn't a huge Derek Carr fan, but really, he no, not not when he first came out. I thought maybe he was, you know, would be I one of those him guys that came. Did you? Okay. Well, I thought maybe oh, yeah. he came I, from a system that 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 shows shows off quarterback, and but he has put in the work, I think, and. And he's done a lot with his offensive players to to you know kind of gel that team together, and he's impressed me. Now the first game that I saw him play against the Seattle Seahawks in the preseason, I was like, oh, this uh, he played really really well. Quick, get the ball out. Uh, he sees the field really well. So 
you know, he has a lot of potential. And Oakland is looking to take that step. I'm not sure if they make the step from from outside the playoffs to Super Bowl contender this year, but they are definitely um, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Uh, if you imagine them lining up against New England in a, a AFC Championship game right now, it's not a slam dunk that you would take New England. You would give Oakland a fighting chance in that game. I think maybe it comes down to coaching at the end, and maybe Belichick has the advantage over uh, over uh, God. I can't even remember over the Oakland head coach right now. But but it's going to be fun to watch that play out. I, I think Oakland is going to learn how to become. They're going to be there for a couple seasons. Um, and, you know, it looks like Denver's kind of down. San Diego is going to have to deal with life after Phillip Rivers soon. And Kansas City is probably going to get to the point where they they realize they can only go so far with Alex Smith. And they're going to they're, uh, Kansas City is going to be in the mix for a new quarterback. So I don't know. You know, when you start looking at, at landing spots for Tony Romo to possibly make one more run, uh, Kansas City's probably on that list as well. Um, with New York, the Jets, Kansas City, Arizona, uh, maybe even Denver. Uh, those would be the short list for me for destinations for Tony Romo. But anyway, I like the well, Raiders to beat the Panthers. Yeah, I, w- I will say that when Derek Carr came out, I had said to people they found the franchise quarterback, and and that, that's the reason I felt like they were going to become relevant again was because of him, and because right. I felt like he he stabilized um, stabilized things and he, that they could build around him, um, which I feel that they have. The pan the reason I'm not choosing the Panthers, even though this is a must win game for them, is honestly I don't know the mental fortitude of Cam. I feel like he does cower, and the biggest, the biggest way I saw that was in the Super Bowl, because the third quarter when they were behind, I really thought that he was gonna rally his troops, get them to focus, and pull the win out. But instead, I literally felt like he didn't, he didn't rise to the challenge. And if you can't rise to the challenge in a Super Bowl game, I don't know if I believe you can rise. For the challenge on a thing on a game that's a regular season game that you feel like is a must win, but sure. a Super Bowl was a must win, and you cowered. So especially, especially you have built-in excuses right now. So you know. Yeah, so I, I'm, not I'm, not that. Because, exactly. I'm not feeling that. Exactly. I'm not feeling Carolina Panthers in the playoffs at all. I, I mean, Atlanta just totally has to screw this up not to make the playoffs, right? I mean, they they did before. They have before. So I'm not going to say actually, that it's impossible. Actually, if if Atlanta screws this up, I think the beneficiary might not be the New Orleans Saints. It might be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It, you know, I don't. You know, they're a little a little further out, but you know, not not to include this game this week, but. Going down the stretch, if they get hot and beat their uh, in-division rivals, they can put themselves into the position to be that second team 
right behind the Falcons and pounce on them should they waver. Well, here's the thing. We've got eight more minutes. Let's speed through these sure. last three. We've got New England Patriots versus the Jets. Who do you got? Yeah, okay. Who? Who? Yeah, I'm not taking the Jets. I'm taking the Patriots. It just seems like the Patriots, other than, you know, a couple of games, they, they've got a pretty easy easy schedule to finish it out. So, you know, I'm taking the Patriots. Uh, there's no question in my mind it, it would be the Patriots, not only because um, they actually have a quarterback, but it's it's it is they are a complete team no matter what. Um, there, so it doesn't really matter where they play. You you almost you know that it only takes a it's only a few teams that can really dominate or compete to, on their level at this point. Sure. So so then the Chiefs versus the Broncos. This one was a tough one for okay, me. I didn't last, know which way to these call. These last it. two games. Yeah, these last two games are probably the hardest pick of the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I went with the Denver Broncos. I went with the Denver Broncos because, A, they're at home. B, I think their defense is healthier than the Kansas City Chiefs. I think Kansas City probably has the better quarterback play with Alex Smith versus, uh, who is it? Uh, Is it going to be Simeon? Yeah, Trevor Simeon. Um. But, you know, the Broncos are at home. I'm going to take the Broncos to win over the Chiefs. The Chiefs, you can only go so far, and it seems, you know, the Chiefs' only hope, I think, is to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball. But against that Denver defense, it's very difficult to do. So just on home field advantage and defense alone, I'm going to take the Broncos. You know, I I have nothing really to add to that because I, I absolutely agree. And so even though it was a tough call for me, I I, I think that, that was, if I was to put it on a scale, that's what tipped it for me. Um, yep. So I'm with the Broncos as well. So the last one is the Green Bay Packers versus Philadelphia Eagles. And this one was a tough okay. game for me to choose this as well. This one was a tough game to decide for me as well. But A, Philadelphia is at home. They are coming off uh, – a tough loss to Seattle, but they get an extra day to prepare. Um, but to me, it comes down to how the team is feeling about where they're at in the season. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are much happier as a franchise and a group uh, than of where they're at than the Green Bay Packers. The I think uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are in a way better headspace than the Green Bay Packers. The Packers should be in desperation right now because things aren't working. They're beat up and they're losing. They've got the uh, heretofore greatest quarterback in the world, and he's not playing that way. Um, So I took the Eagles at home to win this game. A bounce back. It's, It's rare for teams to win after playing Seattle but I'm taking the Eagles to win. So I had I had the Eagles to win. I may have the Eagles to win again, but right now I have it with the Green Bay Packers. And um, ah. but it's, playing it's the tough, old switcheroo. Right? Or you're playing the, the old is, I just in case I need to make up a game. You're going to put that one in your bag, huh? 
Um, no, it's not solid. It might be something I change even on Monday. I, right. I'm really absolutely not sure what I'm going to be doing yeah. um, on this game. It's such it, – it's, there's so many factors. Um, you know, I think that my question is the defense, right, uh, of the Green Bay right. Packers. Yeah, That's the terrible, biggest right. thing for me. I mean, as as much uh, as the, Aaron Rodgers they, not being Aaron. In the Aaron, game they played last week against, what, the, it was the Redskins, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Rodgers would score, and, and the defense would immediately give up huge plays in the passing game to Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. And you know that's the only route that, that can kill you with Deshaun Jackson is deep, over the top. How 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 are you giving that up? Exactly. I mean, here's the thing. To me, if if your offense gets you points above 21, uh, if your defense is good enough, that that could well, or maybe even say well, 21, 24. I feel like that's a good, like your offense is doing their job, right? I personally. Yep. And that should be enough on a good defensive team. But here's the reality. The four most recent losses by the Green Bay Packers, the, the, the team scored 32, 26, 25, and 24. That is yep. not so scrubby tells work exactly, from the offense. That tells you right? exactly where your problem is. Yep. So when you, get, if, you look if at you the got, defense... If you've got to score... 35 points a game to win, <laughs> there's a problem. And the problem is exactly. on the defense. It's in um, the defensive the only, side. The only I'm just saying, you've got 33, is, 31, 47, and 42 allowed by the defense. Yep. That, that's yep, unacceptable. That's, that's unacceptable. You are screwing over your offense by expecting them to actually answer each one of those things. I mean, <laughs> yep. it's 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 abysmal. Um, that is my only concern, because I feel like it, Oh, I didn't even realize time was up. It's, it's, they said ninety seconds, but all I'm saying is that at at the end of the day, this team. Um, the, I, I may change it back to the Eagles because of this defense. They have to show me that this defense can turn it around. And how are they going to show me that when I when there's no game before this one? To make me think otherwise, I so what, I, I don't know. Let me say one thing real quick. I really hope that Nelson Aguilar has a great game. Um, I feel I felt really bad for uh, you know the the world was on top of his back last week with drops and and because of that that penalty that called back a touchdown. So I wish Nelson Aguilar to have a great game. Well. Uh... I hope he does then, too. We'll see what happens. But anyways, everyone, have a great day, and go Hawks.